Well, let's dive in. Uh, today, it's, it's a joy to talk uh, about someone and introduce you to someone who's going to be helping us in ministry here. He's a new pastor at Timberline Church. His name is Bob Seal, and I'm going to ask Pastor Bob Seal, and I think he has one of his da- a daughter with him, Riley, today. And uh, the Rosalind, his wife, couldn't make it tonight. She's doing, they're doing softball as a family, and they've got kids. Come on over here, you guys. Hi, Riley. Hi. You doing okay? Getting dad straightened out? Yeah. Okay, that's a good thing. Um, the title here for this particular brother is uh, Student Ministries and Young Adults Pastor. Bob Seal is a name many of you recognize if you've been around Young Life at all, because he's been the director here in northern Colorado for how many years here? Almost nine years. Almost nine years, and then other states as well, but he's kind of in national leadership, and he's been a real key player with Young Life. His influence in our community is amazing, and Bob, I've, I've, I've respected you from afar, and uh, when this all came about that we could bring him to our pastoral team, it was kind of like, are you serious? Would you consider this? And, and I just thought it's a win for our, our community and for Timberline. And uh, I just want you to share a little bit about your heart as you lead all the way from middle school, high school, through young adults, 970. He's going to be kind of the man who has the umbrella picture of all of those ministries. Share with us what's going on in your heart. Great. Thanks, Pastor Derry. Uh, my family, uh, like Derry said, it, it's a little bit larger than here's tonight. My wife, Rosalind, wanted to send greetings. She's with our daughter, Shannon, with softball, and she's singing at a wedding. And my son, Trey, who's going to be a freshman at CSU, is uh, en route from California back here where he's been serving for a month at a Young Life camp. But for the past 25 years, uh, my wife, Rosalind, and I, our passion has been working with uh, young men and women, students and young adults, and investing in the next generation of leaders. And to invest in them and see their gifts and talents unleashed as they participate in what God's doing, not just in our community, but around the world. Uh, It's just our passion and what we've been called to. And so to have the opportunity, Pastor Derry, to do it here at our, what's been our church home since we moved here nine years ago. The first Sunday we were here, uh, we attended Timberline and we've stuck since, but to do it here is uh, a thrill, it's a call. And we really look forward to uh, working with others who share the passion of working with young men and women and the next generation of leaders. Um, I've been praying for uh, over Matthew chapter 9 where it says, the harvest fields are ripe, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest for workers, to send out workers. So I'm praying that uh, here at the church, I'm praying for a couple hundred men and women who want to invest in this next generation of kingdom leaders, and we're going to have a great time uh, doing what we do. Um, Last weekend, working with uh, Pastor Tim and the youth, and then being with the 970 team was one of the funnest weekends I've had in a long time downtown at Holler, giving free rides at Brewfest, as well as uh, what Pastor Tim and the team's doing with uh, the young men and women here. So It's exciting. It's great to be here. I'll be out at a table uh, after the service and uh, t- at station number eight. I'd love to meet students, parents, young adults, just to get to know you, as well as let you know all the fun stuff that's going on uh, this week and over the summer. There's some great stuff happening. You know, one of the things that I appreciate about Pastor Bob is his, his, his willingness to develop leaders. 
And young people need significant adults in their life. How many of you know that? And some of you single parents especially, there's so many ways that we can help your kids and your family. And so please go by the table, get to know this guy. We look forward to just a mushrooming experience. But I want you to join me as we pray for Bob and Rosalind and their family and this incredible journey. Lord, thank you so much for this family. We just ask you to be close to them and do the things that only you can do in them and through them. Give them favor as you have, continue that favor in this community, in this local church. God, we ask that you would raise up a harvest of leaders that they would know their time is now. That you would drop a seed in their heart to come and talk to Bob about ministry. So show us how and show us where and give us the tools to make a difference in reaching the young people all across Colorado and the world for your glory. Amen. Hey, say welcome to Pastor Bob and Rosalind Riley and their family. God bless you, Manny. It's exciting. I hope you brought your Bible and I hope you're following along in our series, Eyewitness News. We've been going through the book of Mark verse by verse and it's just been a blast. We really enjoyed it. And uh, I, today, I have the opportunity to talk to you a little bit about being a part of a miracle. I, I grew up in Grand Junction and my dad was a pastor of a church and I was, I think, between 10 and 14 in those years when we had a guy who was a leader and he was a very country person and I just loved him. And he had a big western belt buckle that was like this big that he always wore and cowboy boots and he was a big man and wore a hat and uh, he, would, he would come in and the first thing he would say to you almost always as he would stick his hand out to greet you or especially us younger guys, he'd put his arm around us and slap us on the shoulder. He would say, well howdy partner, well howdy partner. And I always remember that as a kid thinking, what does that mean? I've, I've been to Silver Dollar City. Anybody been there? And you walk through the, you know, it's kind of a hillbilly world. And all of a sudden a voice out of nowhere will come up, howdy partner. You know, and you kind of wonder, what does howdy partner mean? Today we have the opportunity to talk about partnership. There's this warm, inviting moment when Jesus allows his disciples to partner with him in the miracles of life and in the, the God-sized miracles that God is doing. And I don't think Jesus walked around saying, well, howdy, partner. But I think God, in a sense, in this room right now, is trying to say to us, I am a God who wants to partner with you. That's a miracle in and of itself. So if you have an outline on the back of the bulletin, follow along with me. The first thing I want you to write down as we look at Mark chapter 6, verse 30, is this. We must value rest. Listen, if you are not rested, you will not serve well. If, if you don't have energy to give, you can't give it. And so I want to talk about this a minute. Look at verse uh, 30 of Mark 6. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. One of the few times you see Jesus saying that to his disciples, he did it often. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. They literally had missed meals because they were doing ministry. We've seen it in these first five, six chapters of Mark, how many times Jesus can't even hardly go into a new community. People are already lined up. He, you know, they find out where he's going to sleep at night, and they 
go to that place and so he doesn't get rest. And so it's, a, it's been a real challenge for them to have rest at all. Sometimes, and I just want to throw this out there and we'll move, we'll move on. In our culture, would you agree with me that sometimes we praise workaholism over balance? You know, if you've ever worked in a corporate office or companies where all the awards go to the people who are burning it 70, 80, 90 hours a week and they work late and they work every day and you can call them anytime and, and their life is given to a company or, or some purpose beyond a real life. God has not called us to be workaholics. I believe in working hard. I have a passion to work hard. I love my work. I encourage you to work hard. But let's be people who find balance points in our lives. When God created all of the universe, there was this day he said it's a day of rest. There's such a thing as sabbatical. There's such a thing as stopping doing what you're doing, laying down the work clothes and saying, I'm not going to be a workaholic. I'm going to rest. I'm going to find that place with God. I believe that our, our rest enables us to be ready to have the strength of God when that time comes. But look at what happens to their little plan. This is kind of sad. Number two, we must value people. And I would even probably add sometimes people over the rest we wish we had because there are urgent moments in our lives. But here's what happened. Verse 32, so they left the boat for a quiet place. Now, can you imagine how they're feeling? Oh, good. Oh, finally, Jesus sees how tired we are where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. See, they're becoming famous now. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore, and they got there ahead of them. In the Sea of Galilee, there's, this, you can, there's big beaches, and you can walk along, and if they kept their eye on the boat, they could kind of follow along around to this corner where this miracle is about to happen. And Jesus saw this huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them. And he said, go away, I'm tired, I want to rest. No, he didn't say that. It doesn't say that. L look at what this, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, I don't know about you, but I marvel at this. Because when you're exhausted, now, if the Bible says they were exhausted and they had been skipping meals, then I guarantee you it's true. And it's, it's probably even an understatement of how tired they were. They needed rest. But Jesus saw the needs of people. I hope you don't think this undermines my first point of needing rest. But I just want to say there are times like we're in right now that we must give it everything we have because there's crisis all around us. There are people who have humongous needs and everything we can do to help them is a blessing to them. I remember raising kids. We have three children. And man, some of you who have babies in the house, I still remember when it was my turn. You know, Bonnie and I kind of shared this experience and took different nights depending on our work schedule and stuff. And oh man, I can remember times when, you know, you remember putting the baby in the crib? And we had one of those cribs that is out, it's outlawed now, I found out. Pastor Reza told me you can't even use it. It's like the, the prison bar kind that you pull up, you know, and then it can fall and cut their fingers off or something. I don't know, but I, I, we've been saving that thing in the attic to give to our kids' kids. And now I find out it's illegal. And so that's horrible. Anyway, I remember being so careful to put, you know, Ryan down in that little crib and you walk out of the room. 
dear God, please help him to stay asleep. You just get in bed. You just get comfortable. It's finally over. And they start crying. And you say, ignore them. Just ignore them, right? Let them rest. And Bonnie's saying, it's your turn. <laughs> right? Oh, there's nothing worse than having to deliver when you're exhausted. That's what was happening here. They were really worn out. They were really tired. And uh, now Jesus never, here's the takeaway and we'll move on. Jesus never viewed people as the problem. I, I've met people who just say, I'm sick of people. I'm done with people. I heard a country song the other day that says, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. <laughs> Have you heard this song? <laughs> I'm not saying it's truth, okay? But it just made me laugh. What a crazy song. I, I can't believe that Sometimes in our culture, we have this way of just sort of saying, I'm sick of it all. And Jesus, when he's tired, he's weary, he hasn't eaten, he looks out at the people and he says, there are people without a shepherd. I care. I will love. I will serve. His heart was moved. And he's about to make a difference in their lives forever. Number three, our plans are not always God's plan. Now, this is where we shift into the actual miracle that's about to take place as we become partners with God and as the disciples begin to partner with God. It says in verse 35, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. See, the disciples are trying to help him, okay? They have a plan. Send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. Now, I don't know, if I would have been a disciple, I would have probably responded the same way that they're about to, which we'll see in a minute. Jesus had something in mind. The disciples were trying to get a plan to save a problem when it would get dark, because that's when the thieves would come out. And he didn't, they didn't want to leave this crowd. The Bible actually says 5,000 men plus women and children. Would you agree there could be 12, even 15, 20,000 people on the hillside? Very likely there was. So we have this moment when Jesus says, you feed them. I, I, I guess the question for me is, do you ever try to solve God's problems? <laughs> do you ever bring an answer just to help God out? And you think it's a really good idea, and God sort of throws this thing back at you. You feed them. What a story of partnership. Jesus doesn't just say, I'll take care of it, boys. Stand back. <laughs> There's this food that comes out of the sky. That's not what happens. He is about to make this happen in a way that involves hundreds and even thousands of people in breaking and passing the bread. They are going to be involved in this miracle. God wants to partner with you. God wants you to come with him. He wants you to listen to him, not just try to answer the questions that, that seem relevant to you, but to do what he needs you to do in time of need. I was up near Glacier View on Friday, my day off, and I was driving through some of the burned areas and came across a sheriff who comes to Timberline and was so thankful and appreciative of Timberline. And, and uh, he said, the Red Cross is just up on the hill. I said, I'd love to go thank them and just tell them thank you for everything they do. And I went up there and got out of my car. And when I, when I walked up to this Red Cross truck and I saw these volunteers, I just couldn't help but think, what, has, what have their weeks been like? And I talked about Larimer County and they said, is that what you call it, Larimer County? And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, we're from Kansas. 
And it just really touched me that here we have people right here among us who have, have driven long distances to serve us, to be a part of fixing a problem that we have. And that's what God does. That's a picture, an image of how God can use so many different people in ways that you wouldn't think so that the need can be met. Number four in your outline. Why do we often tend to think only in terms of money? Okay, now we've just had a great celebration with funds, and believe me, those funds don't go very far. I'm, I'm excited about the amount, but we'll be good stewards of them, I promise you. But we do often think only in terms of money. Verse 37, the second part, says, with what, they ask, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. Now, I'm going to just go into a little more insight because in the Gospel of John, this same miracle is recorded. And it actually puts names to some of these statements instead of they, meaning disciples or one of them, there's actually some names. Let me just read this. Jesus, in, in John chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus saw this large crowd of people coming and turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip. He already knew what he was going to do. And Philip said, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Okay, I love this part of the story. What was the question Jesus asked Philip? Where can we what? Where can we buy food? And what was his answer? It would cost too much. <laughs> Did he answer the question? No, Jesus said, where do we buy it? Oh, it would cost too much. <laughs> Isn't that just like us? Jesus is trying to put a plan in our hearts and we're like, hey, it costs too much. We jump right to the impossible wall. We jump right to the diagnosis. We jump right to the final say. Well, the doctor said this, so that's not a... Listen, God is able to do more than you can ask or think. God has plans you don't yet know. God has something in mind. And sometimes we go through these tests. And it's very important for us to stay open-hearted and minded about the fact that he is God. And God does stuff. And so I, I think it's important for us to say, listen, if you could just wave the wand and money wasn't the issue, what would you be dreaming today? What, what would God put in your heart? What would you believe God for if money was not an issue in your life of any kind? And I realize money is an issue, so I'm not trying to be idealistic. I'm trying to say God makes ways where we have no hope that there will be a way. Trust him in those times. He's about to do a miracle they would not believe. Number five, what do you already have? What do you already have? This is kind of what starts to come out in the story, and this is what makes it such a fascinating miracle to me, is because God is about to use something that's already there. It's been there the whole time. Verse 38, how much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And that just seems funny. Jesus says, here's thousands of people. Can you imagine looking at a hillside of, of 15,000 people and they come back and say, we have five loaves and two fish. And it's like, there you go. Do something fun with this. Again, in the book of John, we see who it was because it was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who spoke up and he says, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. And then he says this statement. He says, what good is that with such a huge crowd? 
Now, if, if there's one seed I need to plant in us as a church uh, today, it would be this. We often face this tension between that faith, here's five loaves, here's two fish, and then there's this sinking feeling of reality that says, but what good is that? It's almost like we can go from this high faith in God, I believe God can do anything, but you know what? He doesn't do it for me. Well, that happens for them. It doesn't happen for me. Well, it, there's some food here, but it, believe me, it's not enough. And we often live in that tension. That's what this life is about, is that faith and that reality. And somehow God wants to help us today to see that there is hope when there's even the small thing already in our hand. Just five loaves, just two fish happened to be enough to feed everyone there. They would never know that. Now, we know it's this little boy who gave up his lunch. Don't you love this kid? You know, he doesn't need the credit. What's his name in Scripture, by the way? Do you remember it? <laughs> the boy. <laughs> the boy. He's, he's not named. He is nameless in the story, and yet he's providing. He's handed them his lunch. I just love the fact that there's no record of him standing up to everybody and saying, Everybody! This all came from me. I'm the source, right? You don't see that. And so we recognize that. He, he gave what he had. He also ate from the lunch God made that day. I love this question just to think about. Did that little boy eat the lunch he brought that day? Or did he eat the lunch that Jesus made from the lunch he brought that day? See, I don't think we have to eat our own lunch. I think when we offer to God what we already have, God does it, he takes it, and he spends it, he multiplies it, he does things with it that we cannot ordinarily do because he is God. That's why we offer to him all that we have and all that we are, our gifts, our talents, our resources, and it's in his hand, and he gives back what he decides. Number six, sometimes structure and obedience precede the miraculous. This point doesn't sound very spiritual, but it is. And I would like for you to just bear with me for these few moments we have remaining to think thoroughly about this point. We often, as Jesus followers, get pretty excited about the spirit moving in our lives, and we should. And we often give people answers like, well, just let God do it. When in reality, verse 39 says, then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 and 100. <laughs> and we've talked about this briefly before in here, but I, I cannot imagine being the disciples. Okay, gather around, everybody. You got these disciples. And Jesus says, sit everyone down in groups of 50 and 100. And let's, let's get some structure where we can do this. Now, there's no miracle yet. Jesus probably is holding the lunch, and they're thinking he's going to do something, but they don't know that he's going to multiply the food. So they have the task of going out to a crowd of people and saying, all of you over here, could you guys sit down and could you get in groups of 50 here? Yes, 50. Would you guys get in groups of 100? Would you make an aisle right here, please? Because... And they're saying, how many of you know there's someone in the crowd that says, why? How many of you know that would happen? How many of that would be you? <laughs> why? Here's the disciples. Think about their response. They have to say, 
I don't know. <laughs> they have to say, Jesus, why? And Jesus probably said, because I said so. <laughs> right? They're having to sit down in groups of 50, thousands of people. Thousands. How long did it take? Anybody want to guess? How long would it take for you to walk through crowds of 10, 15, 20,000 people and get them to sit down, organize, get in rows? I don't know. It could have been a long time. It could have been that some people even got so frustrated they left. Don't underestimate the power of structure and obedience. It's, it's, why, it's why as a church like Timberline, it's why we have structure. Because it's like your skeletal system. Do you realize if you did not have your skeletal system, you would just be a, a blob in the chair. Like, give me your best illustration, your best look. Of, no, don't. I'm kidding. We need structure. Healthy structures can advance the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? So that's why we sign up. It's why we say go. It's why we give leadership. It's why we have different pastors who have different roles. It's why, because God cares about this stuff. It's how we can do things on a larger scale. We need to see that. We need to appreciate that. We need to respect that. Number seven, what should I do with the leftovers? What should I do with the leftovers? My favorite part of this story. Verse 41. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and he looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from those loaves. Now, either those were some really big loaves <laughs> or the miracle happened as he broke that bread, right? And he just kept breaking it and it kept multiplying. That little kid's eyes were this big around and he can't believe it. He knows what's in the bag. I just love this because everyone got as much as they wanted. See, there is enough in the kingdom of God. There, Jesus, there is enough in Christ. And we need to know that. He's our sustenance. He sustains us. And then it's almost shocking. It's as though Jesus knew. And these disciples have these baskets. And they pick up all the bread that's remaining. And they, they have these baskets. And they bring it back up. And there's 12 baskets full of bread that's left over. And fish that's left over. Is it ironic to you that there are how many baskets? How many disciples? <laughs> this is kind of amazing. Do you think Jesus planned that? Is it just a coincidence? I think he had something to do with it. And I think he's breaking that bread with those disciples in mind to paint a picture for us that Jesus wants us to always have something to offer when we come across hungry people. This is a great story about the provision of God. But one of the greatest stories is the fact that Jesus puts a basket in your hands and says, would you distribute what I have given you to those who have needs? Guys, that's the picture of the church. That's why at Timberline we want you to live on full 
It's why we want to be full. It's why we want to have resources and empowerment. We want the Holy Spirit of God to make provision in our lives so that we can say, Lord, we value the things you value. So your blessing comes and then it goes out as a blessing to others. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that you are the God of provision. <laughs> wow. The God of provision. There are some hungry people in this room today. I know it. Those who are weary, exhausted, they need you. They need some bread. They need some fish. They need some strength on a spiritual level. Would you fill us and would you cause us to have some leftovers in our life that we might be a blessing to others? I want to pray for some of you who would be honest enough to just, in my first prayer moment, is those of you that would say, I recognize my basket is empty. I've been giving and giving. You might have a life, a job, a situation that's draining you. Jesus understands the drain some of the circumstances in your life would drain all of us. It's okay to request prayer. It's okay for you to lift your hand and say, I'm on empty right now. You guys, I, I would lift my hand to this at times in my life. And so there's no shame in this. If, if you know you're, you're on empty and you just need the fish, the bread of God, the bread of life, whatever that means, you're going to trust God because you don't know how or where it's going to come from. But you know your basket feels empty when it comes to the resources, the need being met in your life. Would you lift up a hand now, please? Could I just pray for you and with you? Lord, thank you that we recognize our need. Thank you that we don't have to live in denial about the hurt, the heartache, the pain, the struggle that we are facing right now. But you are a God who knows it. You saw it. When you saw those people walking up that hill, you recognized they had a need. They were people without a shepherd. And today, Lord, some of our brothers and sisters in this room are weary. They're tired. They feel done and spent. Would you wrap your loving arms around them in this moment and let them know that you love them, that we love them, that the body of Christ wants to lift them up and offer them the food that you bring to the table today. God, would you satisfy their spirit, their spirit man? Would you meet that need first so that they can come to you in their weariness and that you will give them rest? That's what you promised. You will give us rest. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray for something else, and it's almost the opposite of what I just asked people to lift their hand for. But I want to pray for those of you that would just acknowledge that you're recognizing, you need to recognize what you've been given. Because it's easy to see what you don't have, and it's harder to see what you do have that you don't recognize you have. We all tend to think we need a little more or a little of this, but what is in your hand already? What lunch do you have that you could offer to God that doesn't seem significant to you at all? What gift, what talent, what ability, what resource, what kindness, what is it that you have that you would say, I need to recognize what's in my lunch? 
Would you help me do that, Lord, in this moment? If that's you, would you just hold up a hand with me? Because I'm holding mine up to that. God, show me what's in my hand already that I've not fully recognized. Lord, help us, challenge us to look deeper into the sack, into the bag, to recognize that five loaves and two fish, it doesn't seem like a lot to us, but it is a lot to you. And it makes a difference with thousands. And so we trust you to be that God right now. Lastly, Lord, I pray for those that don't know you personally, that they will just be encouraged and strengthened by your word on this day. That they'll be open to recognize if there's separation because of sin in their life. If you're separated from God because of sin, could you just pray this with me? Lord, forgive me of my sin right now. I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. Help me to walk clean before you. I give you my future. For your glory, we pray these things, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Wow. Partner with God. <laughs> Howdy, partner. I still like that. There's a plan for you. God has a plan and a mission for your life. Ushers, come.